Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. It's like, all this time, Harry's blaming himself, which he probably should be, but not for the reasons why he thinks. So it kind of shows his mindset, like he's just looking for a reason to blame himself for yeah. these characters' situation. Yeah, fantasy book heroes are nothing if not self-deprecating and gloomy. Kaladin, Jon Snow, Harry Dresden. <laughs> it's a trope. You just put him in some good company there, Steven. Yeah, those are, those are some those are some powerhouses. What's up, Undead out there? This is Stephen and Ben bringing you another Phantology episode. Once again, we are bringing you a Dresden Files episode. It feels like this is the new norm for Phantology, but this is book 13 out of the 16 that have been released thus far. So we may be moving off Dresden Files pretty soon, although we'll probably have to do some some entire series episodes. So what's up, Ben? How was Ghost Story by Jim Butcher? How was Ghost Story number 13 for you? Yeah, Ghost Story was great. Although you talking about those, like how far we are along in the book series, it's giving me some pre-book finishing blues. You know, that, that phenomenon uh, yep, that we talked yep. about? Yeah. The, the, the book series depression, for sure. Right. I don't know what I'm going to finish, what I'm going to start after I finish. You know, it's sad. I mean, the good news is you're still a few months away, probably at least at least one month away, depending on how fast you finish the last three. We have Battleground coming out towards the end of September, so maybe you don't need to go into the into the hole of depression quite yet. Yeah, maybe maybe not. But I'm already halfway through. Oh, what comes after Ghost Story? Because I finished Ghost Story, and then we Cold Days. Cold Days is after. Yeah, so I'm halfway through that, and so I feel like I'm making good time on these. Yeah, okay, so it sounds like you're uh, you're fully invested in the Dresden Files now. I know originally it took you quite a bit to kind of get up to speed, and for those first-time listeners out there, Dresden is a series that I have read all the way through. Ben's going through the first time, so we're getting his uh, little more raw reactions and uh, and theories, maybe since there are still a couple more books that you're not current with. But interesting that you say that you liked Ghost Story a lot because this is a pretty controversial book in the fandom. A lot of people are, are do not like Ghost Story, actually. Yeah, to me, it almost seemed like it was just a way to show how far back the characters had gone after changes. I considered it almost like a short story after changes. I don't know, even though it wasn't. It was a normal length Dresden book, but it seemed just kind of like this almost piece that needed to be wedged in there in order for changes to have the desired impact. So it's almost exactly halfway through the series because he's planning on writing 23 books at last count. 17 are released thus far. So we've got 12 and then, I mean, changes was exactly halfway through, but now Ghost Story has reset pretty much everything. I mean, the first sequence of dresden files you had a lot of familiar dresden things going on like he always went back to his apartment he had the blue beetle he had a lot of the same gear he had some somewhat of the same status i mean not to say that he didn't advance onward but you kind of knew what to expect 
And now after changes and then ghost stories kind of reset everything. And then we kind of go from here. So like you say, it's pretty necessary in terms of where the series is going, because now we have almost a new normal after this one. And I think it did a good job of showing that new normal. So I was happy with that part of it. That doesn't mean it was the most fun to read, you know, especially after changes. It's a little slow, right? It's a little slow. And you never feel like the stakes are that high. Harry's not going to die as a ghost, you know? Well, no, 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 no. There, there were times. I mean, one time he was contemplating ending it all. And towards the end, they, they talk about how his soul was there manifesting. And if he was to die too much, he would be completely wiped out. There was a chance that he could have died as a ghost even more. Yeah, I should say that it couldn't have happened. I'm just saying that I don't think any reader realistically believed that Butcher would take time to kill a character that he had just brought back to life. Yeah, that's fair. And at the same time, you're like, well, he's already dead. So if he dies again, as like he's already gone. So how bad would it be, really? Maybe that's yeah. what you're trying to get at? That like all the all the characters were coping with his death and that's a lot of times what makes death so impactful right is the impact that it has on those around you so yeah. they've already grieved him or they are in the process of grieving him yeah and that's what this one focused on a lot what the other characters how how they were responding to Harry's death really strongly with Molly and Murphy as well i mean every character came up well, not every character but but a lot of them you know all of harry's close friends were involved here right so i guess do you want to do the like plot beat like kind of go through it because i feel like we're kind of talking about certain points of the plot without addressing how we got there yeah so we tried to do some non-spoilers at the beginning we'll just kind of go into it now if you like phantology books you can find us online at www.phantologybooks.com dot com on social media at phantology books checks out on patreon we have a merch actually we have a new merch shop open with some, with some new designs so you're not going to want to miss that and please join our discord and let us know your opinions on ghost story on dresden on any other series we've covered we'd love to have your voice added to the community and that said going rolling into ghost story so as we know changes left off with the ultimate cliffhanger our main man, Harry, had been shot through the chest and he fell into Lake Michigan. And the last thing we saw was kind of this unknown scene where like a, a train was coming towards him and it's it's like he's dying. But we weren't 100% sure, maybe, but now we are because he comes to and he is dead. But he's not in the afterlife. He's in kind of this in-between thing. He calls it Chicago Between, which references some of the other things versions of Chicago we've seen like Chicago above Chicago below in previous. And in this one, this is almost like a purgatory type of thing where he talks with a couple of characters we've seen before. Well, we've seen Carmichael before we haven't seen Jack Murphy before this is actually Murphy's father. And these guys tell him that there was an irregularity in his death. The bad guys cheated somehow. We don't know how, but they did, I guess. And Harry needs to go back to real Chicago as a ghost, find out what happened with him. And if he doesn't, then people he loves will be harmed. So of course, Harry is going to accept this mission. I mean, if 
he's nothing if not willing to sacrifice himself to help out people that he loves. Right. So I had some questions about Chicago in between. First, I really like the fact that Carmichael was there. If you remember way back when we were doing the first few books, I was pretty mad that he died the way that he did. Yeah, you didn't appreciate the loop guru mauling of Carmichael? Right, because at that point, he was one of the only tertiary characters that we cared about. Now there's a few more, but at that point, you know, he wasn't like the main character, Harry. Yeah. And he wasn't a main side character like Murphy, but he was definitely like in the orbit. I think you compared him to Lassiter from Psych, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so I was pretty, I was pretty distraught. So it's cool that he was there. It's also cool that that Murphy's dad was there, because these are people that we've been wondering about, or I've been wondering about Jack Murphy a little bit. He's had an outsized role in the story for somebody that died a long time ago. You know, sure. so I, I was happy to see to see that. I didn't understand. Can you only go to Middle Chicago? if there was some type of irregularity in your death, because we know that that kind of happened for Carmichael, right? Like it's not every day that somebody gets slaughtered by a Lucaroo. And we assume that maybe something happened with Murphy. I mean, it's in the story, yeah, he committed suicide, I, I, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if being killed by a Lucaroo means that there's an irregularity in this case, Harry's case, there was an irregularity because a fallen angel directly interfered with his right. death. And so maybe that, more directly breaks the rules of good and evil and free will, which Uriel, the archangel tells Harry about towards the end of the book. So I don't know. I don't know if this is just a processing place for everyone that dies. And then the vast majority are just sent on and some are told they have to stick around or they have another mission or something like that. I don't think that's super clear, but at least in Harry's case, we know what's going to happen with him. Yeah, maybe I would say I'm pretty sure it's that you don't have to have some type of irregularity, especially because Uriel kind of tries to get. Oh, who's that? Stu. He's like the general. Yeah, Stu. Okay, yeah. So Stu, he kind of tries to get Stu to join the the team in Middle Chicago at the end of it. Uh huh. Maybe it's just whoever Uriel Uriel sees fit to have on his team there. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't think we get all of the rules of the different, uh, you know, magics and realms. As a reader, sometimes we're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. This is a kind of similar to, you know, Platform 9 and 3 quarters when Harry Potter dies at the end of Deathly Hollows, right? I guess major spoilers for Harry Potter. <laughs> I can see that. that There's a lot of similarities between... Yeah, it was a little strange, but I, I think very symbolic and impactful in, in similar ways that this one is. Yeah. So Harry gets sent back and he chooses to go back to Mort's house, Mort Mimur Lundquist. We've seen him before. He can speak with ghosts. So this is a good idea on Harry's part because he knows he's going to need someone that can understand him as a ghost because he kind of knows how ghosts function. And when he goes back, Moritz doesn't want to meet him right away, but he does uh, meet Stu, who you mentioned. Stu's like a colonial revolutionary warrior type dude. He fights with a musket. He's pretty sweet. And Harry immediately gets embroiled in this attack with a bunch of wraiths. And the leaders of the wraiths, which are called 
lemurs, lemurs, something like that. Not the monkeys, but the actual, you know, undead spirits that can command these wraiths. Harry realizes he doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't have any magic, actually, at least initially. And that's going to be bad because there's a lot of enemies, but he is able to kind of hold his own in, in some hand-to-hand ghost fighting. And he, he fights off these wraiths along with, with some help, obviously. And he sees what he calls the gray ghost. And the gray ghost looks a lot like Bob. And that seems a little ominous because we know that Bob is fairly powerful when he is unleashed. And also, Harry learns that six months have passed and there's snow in May. So this is a nice setup as we kind of get into the plot here. Yeah, so I really appreciate Mort's role in this. It's another example of bringing back a character that was fairly present in the first few books and kind of drifted away in the last few. Right. So I really like that. I also like the fact that this starts to tie in Corpse Taker, who I think was leading this first attack. Uh, or at least was, you find out later was present, right? Yeah, so you you do find out that Corpse Taker is the Grey Ghost and her and Evil Bob are kind of allied with the Fomor and everything, yeah. And this is someone we haven't seen in a while, but kind of vanished under mysterious circumstances. And we've been aware of her because Butcher kind of references Corpse Taker whenever he talks about, why am I so bad with names? Whenever he talks about Harry's love interest. Susan? No, not Susan. Elaine. No. She took Corpse Taker's body. Or Luc- they switched oh, bodies. Luc- Lucio. Lucio. There you go. My bad. And if a character disappears from a book, I just completely... I completely forget about them. So whenever he introduces Lucio, they talk about the fact that she switched bodies with Corpse Taker. So in right. that way, Corpse Taker's been on our radar. Right. This is an enemy that's more than just a one-off. A lot of times... Harry defeats the enemy for the book and then they die or they go away. But this is someone who is more present. There's another enemy from Deadbeat Cowl who's always kind of talked about and Harry speculates and has seen in other books, but we still don't know what's going on there. So at least we get one of them. That's kind of something that's been over foreshadowed in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. It's almost like at this point, let's just know what this is already. It's just sitting there. And we, we want to know. Anyway, we're not going to get that in this book. But Harry eventually does get in to talk to Mort. He fights with him. He's able to kind of jump into his body and control him and power him with some magic. Eventually, Mort summons some more ghosts. And then he kills the, the race that are attacking him. Harry convinces Mort to help him out because things really aren't looking great for anyone. And then they all drive over to Murphy's along with Stu. And when Harry gets to Murphy's, Murphy's talking to Childs, which is one of Marcone's men. They're talking about the ragged lady who is Molly. Molly has this new moniker, and it doesn't seem like she is doing well. And she definitely hasn't been the same since Chichen Itza. Murphy also has Mr. at her place, which is kind of a fun little cameo. It's nice to see that Murphy is taking care of Harry's cat. And Harry's life is being taken care of, at least the life that he left behind is taken care of by his friends in a lot of different ways. So that's really nice to see. You can see how strong Harry's bonds were with his friends in mortality. Yeah, this honestly, this part had the feel of almost like the darker timeline that sometimes TV shows, comic-based TV shows kind of explore. 
Okay, like that community episode? <laughs> yeah, like the community episode. Or I don't know, like if you're a fan of the Arrowverse, a lot of times they'll okay. kind of go down a darker timeline. Which, obviously, this is the timeline. It's not a darker timeline or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's real. But at the same time, you're removed from it because you're doing it from Harry's eyes, who's kind of removed because he's not alive right now. And so, yeah, you kind of see, what what if Butters was the one to have Bob? You know, you kind of get that, kind of explore that. Or what if Molly, what if she had almost explored her darker side from the get-go who would she have wound up to be and i feel like you kind of get these views into characters had they made different choices from the beginning even though this is how it all played out you still kind of feel like this is removed and will resolve itself without too much trouble and it's interesting that you could say this is what would happen if dresden was removed from everyone's lives because that's exactly what has happened but it's also what has happened because of the choices that harry made so right. in both ways, he has driven people towards this. Yeah, it's, that's interesting because a lot of the time, Harry sees himself like the glue that's holding all these people together, holding Chicago together. But now you find out that he could be that, but he also has this effect where once that glue disappears, it's in a lot worse condition than maybe it would have been had he not been there in the first place. And this is something that he explores to pretty great lengths. In this book, he talks a lot about, he has a lot of regrets, and he realizes that he probably crossed some lines in changes, especially with Molly. He feels especially bad about the, the situation that he's put Molly into. But at the same time, it's not like he can necessarily get out of all of these things, right? Like, the, the biggest thing is that he still has this winter night bargain that there's no way he can get out of because he's made this, this magical pact. But he's also committed to doing better. So it's kind of a trade-off that I feel like is a tough line to walk for Harry and for Butcher. Like, how is he going to rectify both of these ideas that Harry wants to be a better person? And he's always been a really good person when it comes down to it. It's almost like he just needs to blame himself less is kind of my takeaway. Yeah, I agree with that. Butcher's done a really good job at making Harry a good person that's made tough choices. And anytime that happens, you're going to have a, a character that has a lot of depth to them. And so I look forward to exploring exploring this. And yeah. I feel like I feel like the, the reason why Harry's forced to reckon with this, though, is seeing how his choices... Because his choices, he's known how it affects him inside, and he's been able to cope with that. But now seeing how it's affected other people, he's having a hard time with coping. Yeah, seeing all of them in a lens where he's not directly involved, I think is really impacting him more so he sees speaking of friends that he's seeing uh, a few small time practitioners arrive at murphy's place he calls them the justice league so last book we got the fellowship this book we have the justice league so there's a few alphas father fort hill shows up daniel carpenter who is a character that's getting a larger role here this is michael's son and then there's this random white knight vampire who arrives on the scene they kind of discuss the power vacuum that's been left behind after the disappearance of the Red Court, which has now been filled by this group called the Fomor, who is mysterious and nefarious, and we will see more of those. They talk about the swords a little bit, and then Harry comes in. Well, he doesn't really come in, but his, his ghost comes in with Mort. They He tries to convince them that he is, in fact, Harry, and they don't believe him for a while until Mr. comes and like rubs up against his leg. And then that kind of convinces them, although by the end of the book, we'll see that 
they weren't a hundred percent convinced until the till the very end. So then Molly comes in, we get more of the details of her that how bad of a place she's been in. The White Council has been staying out of Chicago for the most part, except for Ramirez, and, and Molly is trying to defend Chicago in the same way that Harry has been. So you talk about them not really believing that he's the ghost, that he's real. And to me, that yeah. was interesting because he had an easy time believing that they believed. And as a reader, you kind of like, well, obviously they should be believing this. But at the end of it, they're like, you really expected us to believe it when all we saw was a cat rubbing it up against air and the fact that Mort knew the answers to some tough questions. Right. So that was an interesting contrast where, again, you're so used to seeing this through Harry's eyes as a reader. And it's not that he's an unreliable narrator, but Butcher does a really good job at that kind of giving you glimpses of how other view, other characters view the situations in hindsight and how what you're, what you're seeing as a reader and what Harry's seeing isn't really the full picture of what's going on. Yeah, so you're in Harry's headspace 100% and his impressions are not always reality for other people. Right. And he's like, oh, thank goodness they finally believe. And in their heads, they're like, guess this could be true. You know? Yeah, it really seems like... I, I don't know. As a reader, you think like, how could they not believe? I mean, he responds with the Star Wars quote and Molly sees him with her wizard sight. It seems like they should have all been on the same page. But maybe it's a case where, you know, they don't want to believe because if they do believe that makes it all real and and that, you know, kind of helps suspend the, the belief a bit. So the plot uh, picks up here as gunmen start firing on Murphy's house and then Stu teaches Harry some new ghost fighting techniques so they can teleport around kind of like nightcrawler and they go and mess with the truck that's firing on murphy's house harry follows it and meets up with this kid named fitz who he connects with right away because he's also an orphan similar to harry's upbringing and so harry tries to help out fitz and these other young kids who are being manipulated by this sorcerer this kind of mid-level sorcerer named aristides probably mispronounced that but this plot, not super essential, but I think what it does is it just kind of brings out the emotion of Harry's upbringing a little bit more and shows you just the fact that all of these mid-level guys are starting to fill this power vacuum and Chicago is kind of up for grabs and there's all these groups that are operating in the chaos. Probably not needed in the book, to be honest, but I don't know. Did, did you care for it? To me, this felt like a, a lot like one of the earlier Dresden books where you had the main plot that you're interested in and then you had this kind of side plot. But I actually thought the earlier Dresden books did a good job of connecting those two plot lines and showing how they kind of mingled together a little bit more than you might have expected. Whereas this, it was more independent and like you say, not really needed. And I don't know, to me, it felt like Harry was trying to say, kind of comment on on the nature of gangs in Chicago, which was kind of weird to me. I don't know. Maybe especially in today's political climate, it's like, okay, this is kind of weird, especially when you're doing it with these characters that are clearly not gang members. I don't know. That was a little weird to me. Yeah, the connection with Fitz is nice, but at the same time, he's more of a one-off character that doesn't really have the the depth of some other characters. So didn't necessarily seem 100% necessary. But it is what it is. So after this interaction, it's dawn. And of course, ghosts cannot operate in the daytime. So Harry has to get to safety. So he goes to his grave, which conveniently exists in 
Graceland Cemetery. It's been there for several books. And then he has this real deep reflection on the events of changes, how he crossed a line. We kind of talked about this a bit already. After this happens, the next night, he realizes that the gates of Graceland Cemetery have been left open, which is why all the wraiths are escaping. And and it's really kind of pushing Chicago uh, in, into chaos, especially in the ghost world. And then he heads back to Mort's house, which has been burned down by another attack between ghosts and human allies. And Mort has been taken. Stu is barely alive. Harry gets his ghost gun that he was using, like the ectoplasm gun. So this is the start of Harry kind of getting some of his powers back. And he uses it right away to fight some of these lemur ghosts. And then he's saved, fortunately, by Butters and Bob, who take him to the new headquarters of the Chicago Alliance, which is led by Marcone. So we've got some characters in different places here. So one thing that you kind of glanced over with Harry's grave, and I'm forgetting the character's name, but there's kind of this young girl that was kind of almost standing guard there. Are you talking about Inez? Inez is like the... In, in Chicago lore, she is a ghost that exists in Graceland Cemetery. Right. To me, if we're making Harry Potter connections, that character felt a lot like Moaning Myrtle. Okay. Maybe with a, a bit more serious than Moaning Myrtle, but again, it was kind of this young girl that has been hanging out here and kind of gives a character an insight to ghosts that you didn't have before and kind of a stronger personality. So I like that. But again, it was... It felt a lot like Moaning Myrtle. I don't know if you, I don't know if anybody else got that impression as well. Okay, the Harry Potter connections continue. <laughs> so, what do you think of uh, Butter's new role here and Marcone's new role? Well, Marcone was interesting because he was present without being present. I feel like that's how Marcone's been the past couple books, and so right could be doing something big right now with his absence. Well, he set up so he set up these this new Chicago Alliance, the Brighter Future Society, and he built this fortress on top of Harry's old boarding house. Very yeah. ironic, right? As soon as it burns down, Marcone's there ready to move in. <laughs> it almost seems you know, Marcone is cool because he's part of the Steely Accords now. And so he he's throwing his weight around a little bit. Uh-huh. And- he almost does things because he's like, this is probably how it works in the wizarding world. Like, surely if I build if I build something on top of a powerful wizard's home, then that should give me extra power. Sure. He might not have any basis to believe that, but it could make sense. So he's just going to do it. Well, we know he's got some allies in the know, right? He's allied with Odin, and he hires the soldiers of Valhalla, the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, in, in here, Jaren, in, in her, oh gosh, that was bad. Anyway, uh, someone uh, correct me there. But he's got plenty of allies. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, it's cool to see him throwing his weight around. It's also interesting to see that Murphy has decided to play ball with them. Because because before, I feel like characters could maintain their distance. Characters like Murphy could maintain their distance and almost their moral superiority because they had Harry there to do the dirty, to do the heavy lifting for them. Sure, yeah. So now that Harry's not there, Murphy's like, well, do I do this myself or do I not do it myself? And so it seems like she's deciding that she's going to have to kind of do the dirty work now. Right. It's like if you work for a big company and you're towards the bottom, you've got your manager and his manager or her manager or whatever, and there are layers of protection from the big bad boss at the top. 
but when Dresden leaves or the managers leave, there's no protection. So you've got to make some deals with people who you otherwise wouldn't. Right. That's my analogy to corporate life. Yeah. Apparently you've been spending a lot of time in corporate America because I would have never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Okay. So there's more speculation on Molly. There's been a lot of bodies that have been found around Chicago with scraps of clothing that match what Harry was wearing to Chichen Itza. And they talk about how the gray ghost might actually be evil Bob, the part of Bob that was cut off of Bob from back in Deadbeat, I believe. Harry tracks Molly and finds her fighting some of the FOMOR they call turtlenecks because they're humans that have been altered and they have gills. The FOMOR are like ancient enemies of the Fae that have now resurfaced in this new power vacuum with the red court being gone. So they, I don't know, like what's your impression on the FOMOR thus far, Ben? How serious of a threat are they? I mean, to me, they almost seem like cannon fodder for Molly's, Molly and her newfound powers. Okay. Not too serious. So, okay. In- interesting. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what you think going forward on that one. I mean, I, I agree. Thus far, it's it's really pretty nebulous as to what the new enemies are, are going to be and, and what the larger plot is. This is more about Harry and friends moving forward in Ghost Story, at least. Molly's being taught by Leah pretty roughly. She's being really, you know, trial by fire type uh, tutorial here. And after this fight happens, Molly's using her illusory magic to best them. After this happens, Harry sits down with Molly, kind of speaks with them through a tuning fork in Wizard's Sight. And Molly admits that she has been putting on this crazy act in order to protect Chicago in Harry's absence. And she has, in fact, been killing the former servitors, which are the altered humans. And this really breaks Harry to the point where he is considering ending it all near some running water, just like letting his soul wash away and being done with it because he can't handle it. But eventually he gets a hold of himself and decides it's time to protect the city. No more of this chaos. I'm going to, I'm going to get back in the game. So good. But how are you going to do that, Harry? Like that's easier said than done. And, you know, I think you also kind of get the, get the impression that Molly might be putting on some type of act, but really there's a lot, you know, there's, pretty deep-seated craziness to her that is real. She's been damaged pretty pretty hard here, and we don't know exactly why. The, there's a big piece of information that's going to come towards the climax that really kind of hints at the, at the level of her emotional baggage here. One question I had, didn't Harry's clothes disappear? I thought that his outfit that he wore to Chichinitsa was supposed to disappear after 24 hours. Oh. Because the whole fairy godmother thing where she's going right. to deck him out and changes. But that's a good question. I wonder if anyone knows and can let us know uh, what happened there on Discord. But yeah, she did say that all that gear was going to vanish. Yeah, well, maybe it was just like the armor that he had and maybe the... I don't know. That was that seems strange. Sure. Yeah, but we'll look into that. I mean, I'm guessing that's an obvious enough plot hole where it probably there probably is an explanation. But yeah. curious. I, I agree. One thing I do want to mention is uh, this is another moment where we use running water to dispel magic. <laughs> and I know that in turncoat or no, in small favor, you were kind of questioning the running water 
in Union Station yeah. in that whole fight. So here it is again. So Butcher does follow his rules. I've thought about it a, lot, a bit after that because I kind of got reprimanded on on Discord. Yeah. And the thing is, I agree that it's that it's a thing. But if water is such a big weapon that can be used to like, why why doesn't Harry just carry around a water gun? You know, it seems it seems like if water is really such a big powerhouse and can pack such a big punch that it should be used a lot more throughout. Well, come on, he, he used to carry around holy water balloons in the Blue Beetle. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's he's not a waterbender. He, he's more on the Fuego side of things. Yeah, definitely Fuego. And there's some, I, I'm assuming there are some types of magic that are going to be more effective, depending on what you're fighting, such as holy water on vampires, etc. I doubt water dispels everything and... Like like we said earlier, we don't know all the rules of the Dresden verse. We just kind of have to trust Butcher sometimes and go along with it. Yeah, I agree. So Harry gets more info about this new gang that's wearing hoods from Fitz, his young friend, and he sends him back to Father Fort Hill to get some protection. Harry goes and finds the Grey Ghost place. He finds Mort there, learns that the Grey Ghost is actually corpse taker. She's trying to take over Mort's body. But she needs him to be willing, so she is torturing him. And then she hears her and Evil Bob make a deal with the Fomor. The Fomor's agent's uh, name is Listen. This is an important character going forward. They make a deal to take out Molly. And then the sun is rising again, so Harry goes back to his grave. So now he's got the seeds of a plan. So after his emotional moment where he was considering suicide, he immediately gets a plan together we're going to reset the next day and he is going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah. So to me, this was cool because I think that Mort has kind of, he never really needed a redemption arc, but you kind of thought that he was kind of a loser. But at this point you're like, Mort's really powered up in, in your estimation here, right? Because he's holding yeah, out against torture. He's, he's never been someone we like all that much. Like he's an ally of Dresden's to an extent, but not a friend. Right, no, he's just kind of there. But now you you realize that, again, Harry might have had just this weird assumption about him that might not have been true and that he didn't really care to correct about it. Like, he didn't care enough about Mort to, I mean, before, like years before, he didn't care enough about Mort to really figure out if this guy was good or not. He just kind of accepted that he was probably a loser because that was just a first impression. And so, again, yeah. we, we're kind of, and Harry's realizing this about himself that he might not give people enough credit or might not give them the benefit benefit of the doubt enough. So that's a cool kind of character progression progression thing for Harry. Yeah, again, like we were saying, Harry's ability to see people now from another lens when he's not directly involved is is pretty powerful for him. So we'll see how this changes Harry going forward. This day or night, whatever, you know, in the intervening time here, after Harry goes back to his grave, he meets with Leah, his fairy godmother, and they revisit his memory of He Who Walks Behind, which is an outsider encounter from when he was younger with Justin. And this is going to be important going forward. We've heard about outsiders a little bit previously, uh, but but we get more of an in-depth walkthrough of what's going on here. Not sure if you totally understood the the importance here quite yet, but I think it is something interesting to throw in at this point. 
Well, okay, so they hinted at a few things. First, they hinted at the fact that he watched behind might have been preparing Harry and not just wanting to kill him. Like, might have been wanting to make him stronger. Right. So that was interesting. And I think I made this point, though, kind of talking about the scene overall in a previous podcast, that Harry's relationship with his mentor, I think I would have preferred it had it been left up to the imagination a little bit more. Because I feel like now that we have these actual events that we can kind of had had explained to us in detail, I think it kind of, to me, it didn't live up to the hype that I had built it up in my own imagination. So I, I kind of wish that we could do without, we could have still gotten some he walks behind scene without exploring Harry's relationship with, with Justin. Yeah, I, I think it is. I see what you're saying there, but this is going to be important for uh, plot reasons going forward. So it probably was needed. Leah fills in some of the gaps with Corpse Taker and the FOMOR going forward. We kind of already talked about that. He asked her for some details around who killed him, and she cannot give him a straight answer, which is interesting. But she does tell him that it was someone that Harry knows and that they'd killed thousands before. But here the, the killing was through proxy. So this one thing about this book, and this is probably going to be my worst of the best, which maybe we'll just start now, was interesting that one thing that really drove the plot along was this idea that Harry's got to find his killer. But he spends hardly any time actually looking for his killer. Mm. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. But maybe that's just because he gets distracted with a bunch of emotional baggage. And it fortunately works out for him. So going forward, he meets up with Fitz and Butters, who need help with Father Forthill, who's been taken captive. Harry travels in Bob's skull, which is kind of fun because Bob appears as a human and the skull is all decked out like an apartment building. They kind of speculate on a few of these things that we've talked about before. This is almost similar to when he talks to Mouse in Changes. Now you see a, a character that's not human, but has a appearance that is a little more fun to see all of a sudden. Yeah, I agree. I really liked Bob's role in this. One thing going back a little bit, we've, when we found out that Bob had kind of cut off the evil part of him, that felt a little forced to me. It seemed like Harry would have known that before. I mean, he gives Bob the command never to access that part of himself again. And it seemed like, I don't know. It seemed a little forced to me. What did you think about that? No, no, but, but we, we knew we knew that Bob would cut off the evil part of him. We just didn't know where that part went. Oh, really? I, I didn't know. I thought it was a surprise to Harry that Bob had cut off the evil part of him as well. Hmm. My recollection was this is kind of like a Ultron thing. I just rewatch. I've been rewatching the Marvel movies. So, you know, uh, Jarvis Ultron thing and, and we're cutting yeah. off the Ultron part and sending him away somewhere. And so he appears in the spirit world. I agree that it works. I just think it could have, when Harry had, when Harry gave Bob the command at the first part, it would have been cool to see Bob do that. And then Harry be like, well, where did that go? And Bob was like, that's not important or something like that. Like some type of foreshadowing, it would have been an easy win to kind of connect it back here. So I don't know. To me, it seemed a little forced, but I did like seeing inside Bob's skull. That was, that was super fun. So after this, they kind of all fight. They rescue Fort Hill and everyone. Everyone's going to go to the ambulance and get patched up. This is not a real important part of the plot, to be honest. 
Then Harry asks for help from everyone going after Corpse Taker, and the crew is going to organize here. Harry forms a staff from the gun. He enlists Morty's leftover spirits, and Molly and him go through the Never Never to get to Corpse Taker's lair. He ends up storming the beach on D-Day, like the opening scene to Saving Private Ryan. Faces off with Evil Bob, who is a Nazi. Real Bob helps to neutralize him, and he makes it to Corpse Taker. This was a fun scene, another an- another pop culture reference like Butcher likes to throw in, and I think it works here, especially making Evil Bob a Nazi. Yeah, again, this kind of also goes back to the evil or the darker timeline type situation. The common theme in that is, what if the Nazis had won? You can't bring that that feel to it. Yeah, kind of like the uh, that uh, Amazon show, Man in the High Tower. I think. Man in the High Tower. Yeah, but again, again, that, uh, if you're like a fan of comic book TV shows, they do that often enough. Okay. I think they I think they do that in Agents of Shield. They do that in the Arrowverse. So now we get into the climax, and the big fight happens. Corpse Taker consumes a bunch of ghosts. Can now form a physical shell. Everyone fights back and forth. Butter takes over, or Corpse Taker takes over Butter's body and kills the physical form that Harry has created. Molly saves Butters, and Corpse Taker jumps into Molly's body, and Harry is along for the ride, so now this fight enters into Molly's consciousness and gets pretty meta. This is another fun pop culture reference, as inside Molly's mind, there's a crew of different Mollies, all on a Star Trek Enterprise bridge type of thing, and they're all controlling. It's almost like Inside Out a little bit, yeah. Um, especially with all the emotions involved. And Harry discovers there is a secret stashed away in Molly's mind. And this is the big reveal of the book. So I know after changes, you were thinking that it was in fact Kincaid that killed Harry. But did you know that before you read Ghost Story? That was a legitimate theory? Oh, yeah. Right after I got done reading changes, I called Josh. Josh and was like, it was obviously Kincaid that did this. And then Josh's right, we'll response talk to was Josh to verify this. <laughs> well, yeah, no, Josh's response was well. He's like, he kind of didn't have the best poker face. He was like, well, it was more about why uh, why Harry uh, was killed than who actually killed him. I'm like, okay, so I was right, you know. So I kind of thought it was Kincaid all, like all through the book. Josh is right though. It's more about why Harry was killed. So he yeah. sacrificed himself. But in doing so, he really put Molly in a bad situation because Molly is feeling this weight of ha- having been the one to kill Molly, pretty much. Kill Harry, right? And that really does explain why Molly had such a hard time with things. And again, it's so cool because Harry thinks this is all my fault because what of what I did in Chichen Itza. You know, obviously that was what pushed Molly over the edge. Which it probably didn't help, but really it was about what what Harry asked her to do with his death that pushed her over the edge. It's like all this time Harry's blaming himself, which he probably should be, but not for the reasons why he thinks. So it kind of shows his mindset like he's just looking for a reason to blame himself for this character's situation. Yeah, fantasy book heroes are nothing if not self-deprecating and gloomy. Kaladin, Jon Snow, Harry Dresden. (laughs) <laughs> it's a trope. You just put him in some good company there, Steven. Yeah, those are, those are some those are some powerhouses. So uh, going forward, Harry meets with Uriel in this featureless expanse, and he ha- now has the choice if he wants to continue on or if he wants to actually 
die, Harry says, well, maybe I do, but I also want to see if my friends are going to be okay. And Uriel kind of takes him through kind of a la Christmas Carol. Like we're seeing how it's going to work out for everyone. He sees Molly and Mort defeats Corpse Taker. Mort confirms Harry's death to Murphy. Finally, she breaks down. He sees Thomas and Justine kind of hanging in there, not doing great, but hanging in there. He feels bad because he hasn't thought about Thomas at all. Thomas is not a part of this one. And then finally, he sees Mouse and Maggie safe at the Carpenters, which is really nice to see. I mean, he's been worried about Maggie this whole time, and the Carpenters have taken them in. It's great to see, you know, Mouse is now Maggie's companion and guardian. I think that's really, that's really tender. And Harry says, okay, I'm ready to move on. Looks like things are going to be okay. And he tells Uriel, let's do it. Let's, let's go ahead and go forward. So seems like, like you never really think that Harry's going to actually move on. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, everything is wrapped up here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you you really have to just consider that the resolution to the book and, and not put too much more stock into it apart from that. Because obviously the next scene is Harry getting ready to come back under these weird circumstances. Yeah. Okay, sorry, going back to his kind of view of Thomas, that was weird to me. The fact that, like, for some reason, he didn't want to think about Thomas throughout all of it. That was weird. It was also weird that that he almost had this warrioristic look into Thomas and Justine. Yeah, hooking up. That was a weird scene. Totally not necessary. But this is Dresden, so. I guess one of those scenes is almost mandatory. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that defines Thomas, so we do need to know how he's going to be able to deal with his hunger. Seems like he will be able to, but he's not doing super great, but well enough, I guess, for Harry. I wish maybe Thomas, the Fitz thing had been replaced with Thomas, would have maybe wrapped things up Mm. a little more, made it more compact. Yeah, I like that. So the only loose end still that exists, I mean, there's lots of loose ends in the series still, but the big one from this is the fact that Uriel's been saying that things are, are unbalanced and there's an irregularity and we still don't know what that is. And now we're going to learn. Well, actually, we know what the irregularity is. We, we know that the, the fallen angel whispered to Harry in his real moment of crisis before he killed himself or before he, he scheduled Kincaid to kill him. And that messed with Harry's ability to have free will. And so Uriel is going to balance the scales here when Harry wakes up to mab in demon reach there are vines growing through his body keeping him alive mab is there saying that uh harry you're not getting out of this that easily you are still my winter night and we have a bargain here and yes you are still alive and i will be controlling you and you have no ability like you are my pawn and uriel balances the scales by whispering to harry that no mab cannot control you you have free will harry stands up to her and she backs off a little bit, but still says, okay, get ready to go to court. Because even if you think that you have some power here, we'll see how this is going to go. So nice setup into the rest of the series. Harry's alive. Winter night. He's going to have to deal with this. It's kind of a weird scene, kind of nebulous. You don't really know how it's doing. And you just kind of tack up to the fact that these people are really powerful and they can kind of do whatever they want. And the Demon Reach connection is very important. And the for Demon Harry. Reach connection. Yeah, because apparently he. That was okay. There needs to be some type of way that Harry came back to life. All right, so that's a wrap for Ghost Story. Do you have Worst of the Best? Yeah, I got, a, I got a few Worst of the Best here. Okay. All right, let's hear. Worst of the Best number one was 
the situations around Harry's death. I really like the fact that Molly was the one was as involved as she was. That was the best part. I didn't like how it was Kincaid that did it. It seemed very obvious to me, at least. Also, I'm just going to say that it should have been obvious that, like, because Harry talked about suicide when he was becoming the Winter Knight, and they had a long discussion about how he could commit suicide. And so it was clear that death was an option that he was considering here. Okay. So that was kind of the worst of it to me. It was like the fact that there wasn't much mystery in as to why he did it or anything. It was just to avoid being the winter winter night. So and and that obviously does work out too well. Yeah, I don't know. So that's my worst of the best. Okay. I mean, I guess I would say that's okay that it's foreshadowed. I mean, he's, he's talked about this danger of the mantle of the winter night, and it really sets up how serious it is. That, well, that's The fact true. that he's willing to kill himself. That's true. I agree with that. It just, it was such a cool reveal, but I feel like it could have packed more of a punch on now. I don't know. And so, okay. I have another worst of the best here. Okay. So, sorry. So, my other worst of the best was was the Fallen Angels' influence on him and how that was almost... I mean, that was a cool concept that the Fallen Angel interfered with the free will so much and that was what was the weird circumstances behind his death. Yeah. So, I like that concept. I just don't think that's powerful enough to justify Harry still being alive. Like, that was the thing that kept him alive. It seemed kind of forced to me. I am with you on that one. That's what I've been thinking about as well. So thanks for bringing it up because aren't we like immortality always kind of subject to temptations from the forces of evil? I mean, depending on what your belief system is, you you may have different approaches to this idea, but as humans, we always have evil thoughts running through our minds, right? Right. And especially like, because it wasn't the thought like it's all your fault or something like kind of, that Harry would think anyways. Like, Harry's all about the self-blame, you know? Right, right. So, I don't know. It was a cool concept, and I'm glad it was explored a little bit, but it wasn't wasn't enough of a thing to justify Harry getting a second chance. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think that maybe was a little nebulous. So, okay, that's a wrap. On to cold days, and we're, we're almost there. We're almost through Dresden. So thanks, Ben. If you like Phantology, we're online at www.phantologybooks.com, at Phantology Books on social media. Check out Patreon, check out Discord, hop on our chat and let us know what you like, what you don't like. I guess we will catch you next time. Thanks, Ben. See you later. Awesome. Thanks, David.